me say, go dogs. I see somebody out there wearing a Carolina shirt already giving me a dirty look. That's okay. Pitcher. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we'll talk afterwards. <coughs> uh, Y'all, I'm glad to be here today. Alvin's getting some rest. He asked me to speak, and of course, I'm uh, very pleased that he asked me to trust me with his pulpit to be able to speak today. And, you know, we have a pastor that has a passion for number one, God, and number two, our church. Now, I want to tell you something. My mom's here today. My mom's right here. She had me in church when I was one week old at Sherwood Baptist Church. That's where she had me at church. Listen, I've been in church since I was one week old and I have never ever seen a pastor have as much passion, drive, vision, and listen, love than more than Alvin Jones. I'm glad he's my pastor. I'm excited to be serving with him. Great things to come, folks. That's all I can tell you. Great things to come. Listen, our music team also, you know, our music team, we got the youth section over here. These are kids over here, man. They're kids. And then we got the mature section over here. But boy, they are blending together. I mean, they're blending together. You can see it. They're coming together, and it's great, and it's wonderful, and they're doing a great job. You ought to give them a big hand. I tell you, it's just great to see them gelling like they are. And there's one other person I want to thank. This guy never gets any thanks. He does things you don't ever see. He's up here at night, does things like that. That's Charles Evans, our sound guy over here. He, he's, he's amazing, the stuff he does. And he didn't know I was going to do that, and he's looking at me like, why did you say that? You know, hey, it's okay, listen. Uh, I want to start off and tell you something. Uh, I am the son of Billy Joe and Madeline Bedgood. And they're great Christian people. My dad has gone on now. My mom's here today to hear me preach. And my dad, as a teenager, now, the kids today say, back in the day. That seems to be a saying that they say. Well, back in the day. Now, I'll be 50 years old in November. So back in the day, was, I was a teenager, and my dad was a, basically a lay preacher. He was a lay preacher, and he was a deacon at our church. And he would go, and as a teenager, I would go hear my dad speak. And he spoke at Baptist Methodist, Presbyterian, all those different churches he spoke at. They all called him. The only thing I think he didn't hit was the Catholic Church. They wouldn't let him in there, but that's okay. So he's going up there and he's preaching and he does all, he preaches all these times and he's a deacon, he's serving as a deacon and he always looked so cool, calm, and collected to me. And I noticed that and I said, you know, gosh, he does everything. He preaches, he does all this stuff and I never see him sweat. I never see him get nervous, nothing. And he does all this stuff. So I said, one day if I'm lucky enough or God calls me to be a deacon or whatever, I'm going to be like that. I'm not going to be nervous. I'm going to be cool and calm and collect and everything. Well, the day came. When I was 27 years old, I was called to be a deacon at my church at that time, Lake Park Baptist Church. And we had the ordination service. And the ordination service is you're, you're basically down here and the deacons come and lay their hands on you and pray for you. And at that time... My father-in-law, Julian Lively, was a member of the church, and he was a deacon, and he came and he prayed for me, and my dad was in the crowd. He'd come to see me get ordained. And Earl Saxon, who I will be ever eternally grateful for, said, Billy, why don't you come down here and pray for your son? And it meant a lot to me that my dad prayed over me 
while I was being ordained. That'll be something I will always remember in my Christian life was that. Well, he came in and prayed over me. So, you know, I became a deacon, and I said, Willie, I said, I got this thing. I got it. And the first thing I had to do was the Lord's Supper. So we had the Lord's Supper, and we came down here, and, you know, they passed out the bread, and I didn't get that, you know. And I thought, okay, well, you know, I'm ready for the, I would say wine, but it's not wine, it's grape juice. And I got that, you know, and the pastor said, take the grape juice. And I went through the crowd and gave it out and did great. Man, I got this. Mr. Lively was in the back. My father-in-law said, Scotty, go upstairs and get the people in the balcony. I said, okay. So I go up there, I get the balcony, I start at the bottom, and there's these steep stairs going up there. So I'm going up there, and I get to the road that James and Tanya Simpson's at, and I don't even know if they remember this, but they're sitting there. And right as I'm getting to the road, I trip over the stair, and I've got the thing, and I'm flying around like this, <laughs> and somehow juice is not flying out, and somehow in the middle of me going around looking like this, I see James sitting me looking at me like. <laughs> I somehow did not spill any of the juice. I got up, and of course, I would not dare look at James, because if I did, it would have been over for me, and I was supposed to be very, you know, collected at that time. So today, I'm going to try to be as collected as I can as I preach and try to honor my father in, uh, in my words. You know, when I was a kid, I loved to read. World War II was my subject. That's what I like to read on. And at that time, I remember on TV, they had this series of books, and the books were called The World at War. And they had all these different books about World War II, and I, I read as many as them I could, and the thing was called The World at War. Now listen, we are a world at war. I don't know if you know that or not, but we're at war. Folks, we are at war. There is a spiritual battle going on right now, and the stakes are this, your soul. Listen, we have no choice, no choice in the matter at all. We have to win, period. We have to win. That's what we've got to do. On D-Day, General Dwight Eisenhower wrote this, we will accept nothing less than full victory. That ought to be the rallying cry for every Christian there is because we're at war and we have to, have to win. Your enemy is Satan himself. And listen, he wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your children. And he wants to destroy your grandchildren. He wants to integrate himself in every aspect of your life. He wants to destroy his, your family. He, your family. Did you hear what I said? Your family. He's coming after your family. That ought to be one of the most precious things to you you have is your family. Look, Scotty, I don't believe in that hocus-pocus stuff. I don't believe in what you're selling. Listen, I'm not even sure the, Bible ex or the devil exists. Well, let me read some Bible to you. In Ephesians 6, chapter 12, it says this, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, and against rulers of darkness in this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. I'm going to translate that for you for this. Evil wants and will attempt to do you in. That's what it'll do. Listen, don't tell me the devil don't exist. He went after Jesus Christ three different times. So don't tell me he doesn't exist. Christians, and I'm talking to the Christians today, listen, are we going to sit in the corner and hope that we won't be noticed? That's the strategy of a lot of Christians. Don't rock the boat. Don't rock the boat. Well, listen, I say it's time to ditch that unbelief. I say it's time we grew a backbone, we stood up, 
and we got into the war against Satan, and we win because of what Jesus Christ did for us. That's what I say. And to those who may disagree with me, those who say we should be quiet and not take any action, let me say this. Let me remind you of this. When the time came, Jesus Christ picked up a whip and run the money grubbers out of the temple. That's what he did. We need to understand that Satan has declared wars on, war on us, and folks, you can't hide. He's invading every aspect of our life. Don't believe me? Just look around. Look at our presidential race. On one side, you have a blowhard with no filter at all, and on the other side, you got a professional liar that's made Richard Nixon look like he was the most honest man in America. And while I'm speaking about that, that particular candidate in an interview I saw the other day said she has no problem with an abortion being performed on a baby on its due date. We have a word for that where I come from. That's called evil. If you can believe that, listen, listen. If you can claim to be a Christian and reconcile that, you can't, you, exact, you can't do that. You can't claim to be a Christian like that particular candidate does and say, I'm all right with doing that. We see the rise, of, the rise of ISIS. We see the deliberate taking out of God in our world. We see hate is spreading. The world screams at us. Different colors. Listen, listen. Black life matters on one, and I know I'm not politically correct. But that's too bad. You're going to get it anyhow. Black life matters on one side, the Ku Klux Klan on the other, and they're yelling at me and Willie going, you got to hate each other. Well, listen, Willie is my brother in Christ. I don't know if you noticed, he's black, I'm white. You've got, listen, 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 listen. I didn't know if you noticed that, I just wanted to go over it. Listen, we are brothers in Christ. We're going to be brothers in Christ on this earth. We're going to be brothers in Christ. Listen. We're going to be brothers in Christ in heaven. We've got eternity to go, Willie, buddy. We're going to go through it together. I don't care what those groups scream at us. That's what we're going to do. We see the desecration of the family. We see marriage has been taken apart and redefined. We see divorce is rampant. We see pornography is mainstream. Affairs are accepted and drug abuse is a right. The devil is peddling sin and business is good. Sin. What does that word mean to you? For me, sin separates you from God. Sin takes you away not only from God, but from your family and your friends. Sin changes way, the way we think. The thoughts that we have, that's what sin does to us. The will to do the right thing. That's what sin does. It brings darkness in our life. You see, that's what sin does to us. It makes us where we can't see the right way to go. But God always gives us a way out. God always gives us 
a way out. Thank goodness he does that. He doesn't leave us hopeless. He gives us that way out. And that's the way out, folks. Right there, that's the way out. Jesus Christ, listen, they took his son. They nailed him to a cross. He, this Jesus, this son of God, took on every sin that ever was and ever will be. In his last breath, he asked God, listen, he asked God to forgive those who killed him. Listen to me right now. Listen to me good right now. The greatest expression of love that there ever was and ever will be was right here on this cross. That's where it was. The greatest expression of love. You won't ever get better than that was on the cross. And they took him to a tomb and the devil must have thought, listen, I'm going to throw a big party. I beat him. I killed him. I killed his son. I beat God. But on that third day, Jesus Christ in all his glory and all his resurrected body stood straight up and walked right out of that tomb. Folks, he's not dead. He is alive and he proved it. He's the Messiah and he's the Son of God and he's the Savior of the world. He whipped death, he whipped Satan, and he whipped anybody else that come along his way. Well, the hair on the back of your neck ought to stand up knowing what Jesus Christ did for you. Listen, the greatest victory this world has ever seen or will ever know is when Jesus Christ walked right out of that tomb. Amen. That's the greatest it'll ever be. By the way, have you ever seen the movie The Passion of the Christ? There's a sequel coming. Read this yesterday. The sequel's called Resurrection. It's about his life when he resurrected. I can't wait to see it. But listen, the war's still here for us. Just because Satan got his tail whipped doesn't mean that he's going to give up. He's still going to come after us. How do, how do we fight this? What do we do? What do we go? Well, Paul showed us the way. God has provided, uh, provided us with armor to fight the devil with. Now listen, in Ephesians 6.13 which we'll read right here. It says, Wherefore, take up the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand, withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Listen, stand up, folks. Stand up. Quit cowering in the corner. Be a Christian. Be, grow a backbone. Get strong. Let's, let's, hey, you know, let's get together and let's fight what's going on in our world. I want you to notice something. God provides the armor, but you've got to put it on. Today I want to talk about three parts of the armor of God that he provides for us, and that's starting with the truth. Now, uh, verse 14 says this. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about, about you with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness. And listen, the first part of the armor we, of God that we see is truth. Now you remember truth, don't you? There was a time in this country where the truth meant something. It was pursued. It was held as a standard. Today it's thrown in the mud and trampled. The truth doesn't mean anything today to people. Here, let me define truth for you as the world sees it. Abortion is not murder. Marriage is just not just between a man and a woman. It's debatable. Step over whoever you have to step over in this world to get ahead. Who does that sound like? 
I don't care who you got to step over. I don't care on the, on the ladder of your career, whoever you've got to step over, get over them because guess what? You have to look out for number one because nobody else will. Well, for the Christian, we know that's a lie, don't we? We know who's looking for, out for us. We know who's got our back. His name is Jesus. That's who's got his back. Step over whoever you have to. After all, whoever has the most toys wins, right? Lie, cheat, kill, steal, destroy. Do whatever you have to do. The, church, the truth is relative. There's no standard for the truth. You make your own truth. Folks, that goes against everything of the truth of Jesus Christ. In fact, it lines up with the thoughts of the Satan. God has a plumb line for truth, and it never changes. He laid out his case through his son, Jesus Christ, and his truth. Listen, Jesus Christ's truth will never, ever change. Never. It'll always be constant. It'll always be the same. Countries come and go. Governments come and go. People come and go. But God's truth will stand forever. In this life and in the next. Oh yeah, there is a next life. There is a next life. My friend David Thornhill is mentioned in our life group. Oh, life group. Whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me give a little commercial here. Life group, 10, uh, 9.30. We meet back, back here. We would love to have you in our life group. I think anybody will attest, I just direct traffic in there, but the people, the people teach the class, and we have a good time in there learning God's truths. But my friend in there is David Thornhill. As he's mentioned in our life group, our Sunday school class, there are several non-negotiables of the gospel that are bedrocks of the faith that are just not subject to change. And we're going to talk about a couple of those today. The number one, the first non-negotiable is this. Only Jesus Christ can save you. Nobody else can do it, and nobody else can come close to doing it. Acts, uh, in the book of Acts, I haven't said this yet. If you got your Bible here, have you got your Bible today? There you go. All right, we get excited about the, the Word of God here. Acts 4.12 says this, neither, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven giving among men whereby we must be saved. Folks, Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. Non-negotiable. Non-debatable. Listen, we live in a world that screams, take Buddha. Take Allah, take the Mormon faith, take this mystical religion. And I scream back, no, give me Jesus Christ. Why? Why do I scream that? I want the real thing and not some ripoff. Listen, folks, Buddha, Allah, Reverend Moon, Muhammad, none of those guys ever went to the cross for me and died for my sin. None of them ever did it. Only one ever did it, and that was Jesus Christ. He's the one that hung on that cross. He's the one. Listen, think about your sin. Not only my sin, but think about yours. He took on that sin on that cross. Listen, they put him on that cross, and he took on that sin. That's good enough for me. Amen. That's good enough for me to know he did that. <laughs> Folks, this is what he said to me. Scotty, I'll take your sin for, for you. You don't carry it. I will. None of them guys ever did that for me. None of them ever said, Father, forgive them, because they don't even know what they're doing. And listen, none of them ever rose from the grave after being dead for three days. None of them, none of them did that. And listen, none of them, there ain't but one that sits on the right hand of God, and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen. 
You want truth? That's a whole lot of truth right there, buddy. Only Jesus Christ can save your soul and settle your eternity in heaven. He's the only one who can do it. My second non-negotiable is this. The Bible is the true and inspired Word of God. If you'll look in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says this. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, and for correction, and for the instruction of righteousness. Listen, I hear people all the time. This is what they're saying, and you hear them too. If you're out there, you hear them. I'm looking for God. I'm trying to find you. Well, folks, let me tell you where he's at. That's where he's at right there. He's right here in this book right here. Listen, life would be a whole lot better for us if we picked up this book and put our nose in it. But here's what good meaning, good, well-meaning Christians do. Oh, I have to go out and get Pastor So-and-So's new book. You know, the one that says, God wants you to be filthy rich. Or, have you heard this one? I got to go out and get Bishop's so-and-so's new book. It's entitled, God Evolved My Thinking on His Truths. Makes me want to puke coat hangers. <laughs> and if you can read between the lines, you know who I'm talking about. Folks, listen. You want to know who Jesus Christ was? Pick up your Bible Start in John chapter 1 and don't get through until you get to the end of Revelation. That'll tell you what you need to know. That's the book you need to pick up. We need to stop picking up all these different kind of books, these clowns books. We need to pick up this book who tells us exactly what's going on and exactly where we go. This is a road map for your life through Jesus Christ. This is what you need, not another book by another clown out there. The third non-negotiable is this. Christ gave his life for the church. Now, Ephesians 5.25 tells us this. The wives always seem to like this verse here. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave his life for it. Now, that husband, love your wife, that's for another sermon another time. We'll do, we'll do that one day. But let's concentrate on this. As Christ loved the church and gave his life for it. Now listen, Jesus Christ loved Freedom Bible Church so much, he gave his life so this church could exist. Do you hear what I'm saying? Jesus died for this church right here. Folks, that ought to get you fired up to know that the Savior of the world died for our church and all other churches out there that are Bible-believing, good churches that believe in Jesus Christ. That's the churches I'm talking about. Now listen, there's some churches out there that ain't that way. Jesus Christ didn't die for them. He died for churches that are doctrinally sound that believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. Freedom Bible Church believes that. Our pastor believes that. He carries that out in his sermons and our vision. Jesus Christ died for our church. That ought to get you fired up right there. My question is this. How can we be so casual about church? We are to be here at all times, ready to do whatever needs to be done to honor Christ. Our classes are to be full. Our offering plate are to be running over. And no chair, listen to me, no chair should be empty on Wednesday night when we gather to pray. 
Boy, Jesus died for our church. Folks, listen, listen. There's a word that we're going to have to get familiar with. And the word is commitment. Are you going to be committed not only to him, but to his church? And that's a word we're going to all, every one of us, my, you, me, all of us, we're going to have to get familiar with this word. Christ loved the church enough to die for it. Do you love the church enough to live for it? The second part of the armor of God I want to talk about is the gospel of peace. And if you look in Ephesians 6.15, you'll see this. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, the gospel has many descriptions. The good news, which is good news. And I know uh, Alvin mentioned another ago. Y'all remember the Bible was called The Way? They called it The Way. And I always associate that with the 70s hippies movement with the long hair and all that thing. And I know Alvin mentioned the other day that song, Pass It On. And I always get this mental picture of a bunch of hippies on a beach with a campfire and singing you know, Bible songs and all that stuff. That's what it's been called before, too. But Paul here is telling us this part of the armor is called the gospel of peace. And the question has to be asked, does the gospel provide peace? I hear it on the news all the time. This is what I hear. Big movie star, big rock star, had it all, fame, money, the big house, the car, the boat, the vacation house, and he took his own life tonight because he could not find happiness. Folks, let me tell you something. You won't find happiness in a liquor bottle. You won't find happiness in another pill bottle. You won't ha find happiness in the arms of a fair. You will find, you will, those things are temporary. They bring temporary pleasure, but you always have to wake up the next morning and face what you've done. For some people, they can't take that. Listen, Jesus Christ provides peace to your soul. Your soul, you know, that part of you that screams the loudest for peace. Like the old song says, Jesus fills the longing in my heart. How, Scotty, how can this Jesus fill my life? How can, how can he bring me peace when I've tried it all? I'll tell you exactly how. Because Jesus Christ has loved you eternally, and he will never stop. That's one thing Alvin preaches, and you all heard him say it many times over. The Lord loves you. It, listen, it doesn't matter what you did in your past life. doesn't matter. He will forgive you. This is something else we're going to have to learn. Folks, Jesus forgives. He forgives us. I hear this all the time. Well, I just can't forgive myself. Well, you cheapen Jesus, Jesus Christ's grace when you can't forgive yourself because he did it all to make for forgiveness to be provided for you. He's loved you eternally. He provides grace through his sacrifice. Think about it. How many lives has been changed? How many lives has been calmed? How many lives has been brought peace to? Too many to count, my friend. And he can calm your storm, too. My brother-in-law, Mike Maddox, is here today. He had no clue I was going to say this, but he's down here right now. He's giving his testimony at his church. Has God brought peace to your life, Mike? Absolutely, buddy. He'd be the first to tell you that God will provide peace in your life. Listen, I read an article this week on a young lady named Kayla Mueller. You may have heard of her. She's about 25 years old. And she was a Christian, and she decided that she was going to go to Syria, which you've heard is, a, is a, just a horrible place going on right now where a lot of atrocities are happening. And she decided that she was going to take food aid, and she was going to represent Christ over there in Syria. 
And of course, she went over there and got kidnapped by ISIS. Terrible thing. Held captive. You know, things done to her I can't even say from this pulpit because it was so horrible. And they were, there were other hostages there with her of all kind of different countries. And they would take her and they would parade her in front of these other hostages and say, you ought to do what she did. She converted to Islam. You know what she said? No way. No way did I convert to Islam. I love Jesus Christ. You see, this young lady understood Philippians 1.21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. She had the peace of Jesus Christ that even took her on to the next life. She had the peace. Third, armor, third part of the armor is this, the shield of faith. In Ephesians 6, 16 says this, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the devil. I have a question for you today. Is Satan shooting the fiery darts at you? Do you have something to protect you when you come under attack? If you're a Christian, you do. Well, what do I need that shield of faith for? Let's look at some times where you might need the shield of faith in your life. Do you have... <clears throat> do you have faith when the doctor walks in and says, I'm sorry, it's cancer and there's nothing we can do? Do you have faith when you get that call late at night and says your child's been in an accident and it's bad? Do you have faith when the doctor says, I'm sorry, but your child has autism? Do you have faith when it seems to you God is silent? Will you have faith when at the end of your life you are standing between here and eternity? You see, the world's going to test your faith. Anybody who's been a Christian for any amount of time knows that. How will you react? Will the shield of faith protect you? The shield was made for battle. It was designed for protection. And the battle is rough, my friend. The stakes are your soul. Notice at the end of the verse, it says this, the fiery darts of the devil are being fired directly at you. You're going to need protection that God provided. But I mean, I've got news. You're going to win some of the battles. And you're also going to lose some of the battles. Just being real here, folks. But Jesus Christ has already won the war. He's already won the war, folks. And in by His grace and accepting Him as your Savior, you too will win the war. Listen, listen, I got good news. There is no way we can lose because there is no way that Jesus Christ can lose. In closing, let me say, um, I know a man who went to the war with the armor of God. His name was Mr. James Johnson, and he was a member of your church. He sat right over there. He was 92 years old when he passed away, and his family asked me to speak at his funeral a month, six weeks ago. And of course I did, and I was honored to do so. He was 92 years old when he left this earth. And these are the things I talked about. Mr. Johnson... He was 92 years old, and he was my friend. That's kind of crazy, isn't it? Because, you know, most of my friends are, are, are my age, but, you know, I have this friend that's 92 years old. 
He fought in World War II. He was a firefighter, and he retired from being a firefighter, and then he went to be a policeman, and he retired from that. So look, that means he beat Hitler, he put out the fire, and he locked up the bad guy. That's pretty good. So, you know, I went to see him. He was at Trinity Hospital first. He was sick, and, you know, he just, you could tell he was just, did, he felt miserable. And I went and saw him at Trinity, and he had the oxygen mask on, and he's laying there in the bed, and, Mr. Johnson, how you doing? And he took off the oxygen mask. And he always called me Mr. Bedgood. He said, Mr. Bedgood, I'm ready to go home. And the way he said home, you knew exactly where he meant. He meant heaven. And he said, I'll see you when you get there. Well, you know, I swallowed the lump in my throat, and we had prayer there together. And he, he recovered. He went to a rehab, and he recovered. He seemed to be doing well, and he was making plans to come back to church here. 92 years old now, and he's active in church. He's coming to church. By the way, he was a 50-year member of our previous church and made a decision to come here. That's amazing. So he recovered, and uh, he was about to come back, and he had a stroke, and the stroke was bad, and he was in the hospital, and uh, you know, I went to the hospital, and Alvin texted me on that Sunday and said, listen, you, you better get up there because he's, he's not going to last much longer. So I went up to the hospital, and there's Mr. Johnson, and he's unconscious, and he's on a ventilator, and you know, there's no way I can talk to him this time. And as I, as I came in, me and my wife came in, the nurses and the doctors were preparing to cut off his ventilator. The family was around, and I asked the family, I said, wait, you know, hold on a second, hold, hold, hold. Can we have prayer from my friend before he leaves this earth? They said, yeah. And, you know, I had prayer, and in the prayer, I thanked God for Mr. Johnson's life and what he was, and I asked the Lord to uh, welcome me as he, come in, as he comes into heaven. So, did that, and we left, and they said that they cut the ventilator shortly after I left, and, you know, shortly, 15 minutes, they told me that he was gone. Now listen, I know it was sad for the family. It's horrible for the family. I understand that. I've been there and I understand that. But you've got to keep your eyes on what happened. Mr. Johnson slipped into heaven. Now can you imagine when Mr. Johnson was standing there at the gate of heaven and Jesus Christ himself come over there, put his arm around him, and said, well done, my good and faithful servant. Listen, this is what my father has prepared for you. Come in and enjoy it. 92 years. Do you think he had some battles with the devil? Do you think he had some of those fiery darts fired at him? Listen, I promise you he did. But it was all worth it. Because when he, at the end of his life, at the end of those 92 years, there he was in heaven. All the people that he loved, all the people that he was saved in Jesus Christ was there waiting on him. Can you imagine that? I'll see you when you get there. Are you going to be there? Are you going? Are you going to be in heaven? Now, I've talked about the armor of Christ today, but here's what I want to talk about. 
Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Listen, that's the only way. Jesus himself said, I'm the way. I'm the only way. Have you settled your business with Jesus Christ today? This is serious. This is your eternity. And this is your opportunity today. Your time to settle your business with Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to be down here in the front. Uh, the musicians are going to come up and start playing. If it's your time today, we can settle it right here. And when your time comes, Jesus Christ will put his arm around you and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just uh, humble ourselves before you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your church that, as I said, you love so much, you died for it, God. We just pray that you would be with us at this time in the invitation, God, and that you, uh, if anybody's here that needs to settle their business with you, that they will do it. God, thank you for giving us Jesus. Thank you for the fact that he died on the cross for us, Lord. Thank you that he loved us so much that he did that. Now be with us at this time of the service. In your name we pray. Amen.